All right. Well, as mentioned before, I am not Pastor Jeremy. Uh, my name is Will Albers. For those of you who have not had the pleasure to meet or get to know, um, by day I teach uh, high schoolers at Cypress Christian School. Um, my wife Emily and our, our four rambunctious but uh, lovely boys are in the uh, children's area right now. So, uh, normally I would be, well, I'd have kind of an ethical dilemma on whether to be flattered uh, being asked to preach on humility. Uh, but given the fact that I was asked to pinch it late last night, uh, I don't feel like I can read too much into that. Although, uh, I must say, um, as a, a former student and follower of AM football, this, this football season has maybe uniquely prepared me <laughs> to preach this message. Um, that's maybe the last thing I'll say about that. So, our, uh, our passage for this morning is going to be from James uh, chapter 3. Uh, We're going to go from verse 13 through verse 18. And uh, as you turn there, just one one little note. Um, Just in God's providence, when uh, Pastor Jeremy texted me and asked if I could preach on this message, again, in God's providence, I did happen to deliver a talk very similar to this in in a chapel service within the last couple of years at CCS. So, you know, sometimes God moves in mysterious ways and kind of works out, right? He knows our needs before we do. So, let me go ahead and read James 3, 13 through 18. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. So when you think of wisdom, what is the first image or first thing that pops into your mind, right? Uh, For some, it may be an image of, you know, an Albert Einstein, right? Or maybe somebody you know in your own life, um, Maybe you get the idea of uh, chalkboards or projector screens, as as I tend to do, being in the the world of academia, so to speak. But James chooses a different word, one that might not be the first one we might expect. He connects humility with wisdom. And that's our first point this morning, is that wisdom produces humility. Now, uh, just to define our terms, so we're, we're all talking about the same thing, Wisdom, according to James, again, is not primarily a matter of intelligence. It's the ability to live life well, which includes being willing to actually live life well. Maybe we think of the illustration Jesus gave at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? The one who is wise, the wise builder, is not just the one who hears the word, but who actually builds his house on the foundation. Or we could go back to chapter 1 of James in his own book, right? We should be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. 
So that's wisdom, the ability to live well. And humility, we might say, is not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance, right? Not, not thinking too highly of ourselves. And so uh, there's a, a Puritan author who lived in the 17th century named Thomas Watson, who I have found very, very helpful. But he has a book where he goes through some of the attributes of um, the godly follower of Christ. And he has some diagnostic questions on the topic of humility that I think are really, really helpful. So I'm going to, to read some of these now. And, and as we do this, I mean, I feel like these are all aimed straight at my heart, first of all. But I find them convicting, and I, I dare say some of us will as well. So uh, first uh, characteristic, and then the question that goes along with it. A humble soul thinks better of others than of his or herself. So if I were to ask, right, are you above average? How many people would probably raise their hand? We'd all raise our hand, right? We all think that we're above average, and and some of us are smiling, right? Because statistically speaking, (laughs) we can't all be above average, right? That just doesn't make any sense. Um, Or maybe I could ask, uh, if I were to ask who's the best at something, how long does it take before your mind jumps to yourself? Well, obviously, we don't all think we're the best at everything, right? But maybe do we think that we're above average at everything? Or do we think that we're above average at the things that we actually care about? And all those other things are, by definition, not important, because if they were important, we'd be good at them. A humble soul thinks better of others than of him or herself. Number two, a humble man complains more about his heart than his condition. Read that one again. A humble man complains more about his heart than his condition. So what bothers us more, our circumstances or our sin? And that's a hard one, right? Because it is so easy to look around and to be frustrated at other things, right? Things that are not my fault or to minimize what is clearly my fault. But when we go through life, do we spend more time mad at the way things are happening or mad at the way that we are contributing to that? Number three, a humble man will always justify God when afflicted. So do we consistently feel like God is not treating us fairly, right? Uh, a common line that I hear you know, from, from some of my kids at home, and I'm, I'm sure, I don't know where they got this from, I'm, I'm sure I never was like this when I was a kid, is that's not fair. Oh, really, right? Would you like to have a discussion on on what is and is not fair, right? And and I could go on and on in that, right? But how often, even if I'm not, if I know better than to say this out loud, how often do I really think, you know, God's not treating me fairly. It's not fair, right? I wanted to, you know, sit and spend four hours watching, flipping back and forth between the Astros and the Aggies, which, you know, would not have actually given me as much pleasure as I thought it would at the time. But there's a sermon to prepare, right? That's not fair. Is God not treating me fairly? Well, we want to be careful asking that question, right? Because if God were treating us fairly, we probably would not like the result. Number four, a humble soul is a Christ magnifier. So how often do we talk about how great Jesus is, right? And 
I teach Old and New Testament to high schoolers, so to some extent I get paid to talk about how great Jesus is, and I'm still convicted by this, right? How often do I talk about how great Jesus is when I'm not on the clock, right? Do I, oh, I, I put in my time, so I'm good. I'm, I'm above average because I'm talking about this all day, so now I can go home. And... How often do we do that, right? How often is that natural to us? Number five, a humble soul is willing to take a reproof for sin. So are we willing to be corrected? Maybe a, maybe a better question would be, do those who know us, right, do our spouses or our friends or our children, would they say that we are willing to be corrected? Number six, a humble soul is content to be laid aside if God has any other tools to work with which may bring him more glory. Does it bother us when somebody else gets to be the hero, right? Or when somebody else gets the recognition for something? Um, I think a great positive example of this is uh, if you've been following the, the Astros playoff run, um, you may know that Jose Altuve kind of broke out of it a little bit last night, but he started off at a record-breaking pace and not in a good way. He was O for his first 20-something and I think set a, a baseball record for longest number of at-bats in a playoffs without a hit. So not good. In game three of, the, of our first round, the division series, the 18-inning marathon uh, you may or may not be familiar with, he was O for 8. I was a terrible hitter when I played baseball in high school, but I never went over eight. Um, if, if I'd played an 18 inning game, I might have. But, but at the end of that game, Jeremy Pena, the rookie, finally breaks the tie by hitting a home run. And if you watch that replay, I mean, as soon as the ball goes over the wall, Jeremy Pena is really excited. But then when the camera cuts over to the dugout, Jose Altuve is in front of everybody, jumping up and down. He's got this huge smile of joy on his face. He's the first person that greets and congratulates his teammate when he crosses the plate, right? Because he doesn't care that he's 0 for 8, right? It doesn't matter that he was not the hero. It doesn't matter that offensively he was not contributing hardly anything to that victory because it wasn't about him, right? It was about his team. Um, it's a great, great example of that. Number seven. A humble person will associate with the lowest person. So a question with this, is there anybody that we would not want to be seen with? Number eight, a proud man complains that he has no more. A humble man wonders that he has so much. Read that one again. A proud man complains that he has no more. A humble man wonders what, that he has so much. So can we honestly say that that's the posture of our hearts, right? And this goes beyond just, you know, is the, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Do I spend more time being thankful for all of the things that I have and actually taking the time to think about all the things that God has given me? Or do I spend more time thinking about all the things that I think he should have given me? There's a, uh, there's a story about a, a man uh, in England hundreds of years ago when there was religious persecution, primarily in this case between Roman Catholics and Protestants, depending on who was controlling the crown and the church in England at that time. But one of the things that they would often do if they, they found somebody who was on the wrong side of that 
is they would, they would remove them from office if they were a pastor, and they would give them a cup of water and a little slice of bread and take everything else from them. So it was kind of a mockery, like, oh, here's your, here's your bread and water. And the story goes that, that this happened to somebody, and his response is they gave him the, you know, the little cup of bread and the little, or the little slice of bread, the little cup of water is, I get all of this and Jesus too? Right? Is, that is not my attitude, right? Um, but it should be, right? We get all this, and you could fill in everything that God has given us, you know, not just material things beyond this. We get all that and Jesus too. Wow. So that's humility, right? Um, I feel pretty convicted again reading through those questions, and I've read through these multiple times um, getting ready for this. Because so often the posture of our heart is not humility, but it's pride. And so our second point, so our first point was that uh, humility comes from wisdom. Our second point is that chaos comes from pride, or pride produces chaos. So let's go on in verses 14 and following. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. So if those questions bother you, don't just cover that up, right? Don't just kind of set that aside and say, oof, you know, let's, let's forget about that. No, that is not what God calls us to do. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom, but these things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So this word uh, selfish ambition, um, in the, the Greek language that James was writing, sometimes this was used of politicians who would do whatever it took to get ahead, to, to cling to power, uh, even if it was something that was clearly unethical, right? Or we might think of a, you know, a team or a player that's determined to win at all costs, even if it involves setting aside uh, the rules of the game. That is not how we as God's people are called to be, right? If that is the way that we act, with jealousy, with selfishness, with you know, willingness to get ahead at all costs, then we are earthly, meaning we are not heavenly, meaning we are not reflecting the kingdom of heaven. We are not reflecting our heavenly Father. We are unspiritual, right? And this doesn't necessarily mean not, not mystical, but spiritual, most of the time in the New Testament, is referring directly to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so humility is spiritual, selfish ambition is just the opposite. And in fact, the last thing James calls this is demonic, right? And I don't even have to define that. It, it means just what it sounds, right? That is the way that the enemies of God act. That is the way that Satan and his minions act, right? When we give in to these things, the result is disorder, chaos. Um, so I'll go, back to, uh, I'll go back to the Astros for another example. Um, one of my sons and I were, were gifted tickets and actually got to go to game one uh, Friday night, which was a lot of fun other than the final score. But as, uh, as you go through and you watch a game, there are, there are different calls that sometimes are close that could go one way or the other. And the game can proceed because there is order. And there's order because there's a fixed set of rules and there's an authority. But imagine how a baseball game would go if every time a pitch was, was thrown, it was only a ball or a strike if the pitcher, the catcher, and the batter all agreed. 
right? And now in theory, like, oh, well, yeah, well, we know what a ball and a strike is. You know, there's clearly defined rules, and everybody knows the rules, and it's the same set of rules, so this should be easy, right? And yet, no, it wouldn't work. Because the primary motivation of so many people would be, I want to win more than I want to play the game the right way, right? Is selfish ambition instead of, no, what is right is more important than whether I succeed in this pitch or not. Um, when we as God's people succumb to selfish ambition, it's not that much different from that. We, we're willing to set aside the order, right, the unity that should come with being the church. And we all end up playing our own little game to try to be ahead. And the result is just chaos, right? It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's, it's demonic, right? And I, I think that Satan and his minions love nothing more than to kind of sit back and watch uh, as anybody, especially the people of God, act in that way. That is not the wisdom that is from God. The wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times, right? How often do we think of gentleness as a mark of, of you know, strength and character, right? A, a lot of times in our society, if somebody is gentle, we think, oh, that, that person must be weak. Right, that person must be a pushover. No, right? I mean, in some cases, maybe those things can go together, but gentleness itself is a sign of God's wisdom. Willing to yield to others. That can be really hard, right? Because we live in a land where we have a Bill of Rights, and most of us you know, know at least several of those by heart, right? We have our rights. I have the right to this. I have the right to this. I do not have to do this. You know, you cannot make me do this. And sometimes Scripture calls us to say, that other person and their good may be more important than my right. I may be called to yield something that may actually be a right. I might have the right to hold on to this attitude, or I might have the right to demand that I get treated this way, or I might have the right to do whatever, but am I willing to yield that right for somebody else? The wisdom from above is full of mercy, right? And what is mercy if not yielding rights? Mercy, by definition, is not ever deserved. When God shows us mercy, he sets aside the right that he totally has to bring justice. And he sets that aside because he chooses to love us, right? Are we willing to do that to other people? It shows no favoritism and is always sincere, right? So um, real humility does not look like the humble brag, right? And, and we're, we all are probably familiar with the humble brag, right? Um, I am so thankful that, you know, God has given me the opportunity to insert awesome thing that I want everybody to know that I'm doing. Um, now, real humility is not like that. Real humility is sincere. And a lot of times we can, we can tell. Uh, I, love, I love watching post-game interviews when the team I'm, I'm rooting for wins. <laughs> not as much otherwise. But one of the things that, that I really love hearing is when they go to interview a player who has you know, played well or maybe made the, the big play in whatever game it was, and they say, well, well, take us through that play. How did that go? And immediately out of their mouth, the first thing is, 
well, wait a minute, before we got there, this teammate had to do something, and my coach had to do this, and this person, this person had to block to keep me from getting tight, and the receiver had to run the route, and all of this had to end, and we had, defense had to stop him before we got the ball, right? Or before I could get this hit, the person in front of me had to get on base, and then the person in front of him. And you can tell the humility that's, that's not just me. I'm not the hero, right? Or if I am the hero, it's only because I'm standing on the shoulders of my team and my coach and these other people, and we're all working towards the same goal, right? And I'm okay being the hero tonight or not being the hero, and, and that's the type of attitude we ought to have, right? We're on the same team. We ought to be willing for somebody else to be the hero, and we ought to be quick to acknowledge when other people get to be the hero and celebrate that. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. It would be really nice if we just had a guarantee that every single time we choose to act in humility, we would immediately see the payoff, right? Every time we make a little adjustment, it would immediately result in success. That doesn't always happen, right? And James says it's like planting seeds. No farmer goes out, you know, sows the seed, and then shows up the next morning and is like, where's all the plants? I planted the seeds yesterday. I watered them. What's going on? No. It takes time, right? It takes patience. It takes consistent tilling the soil. It takes consistent work, right? And how often are we like the, uh, the toddler in the story who, you know, went to pray before bed and said, God... Mommy says I need more patience. Can you please give me more patience? I'm waiting. <laughs> right? How often are we like that? But we may or may not see the outcome of the seeds that we sow. And while from a certain point of view that can be challenging and frustrating, from another perspective, that's actually really exciting. It may be that we get to the new creation and find out, wow, Look at all of the things that grew from all of the seeds that were planted in just these little moments when the Holy Spirit prompted and we said yes, or we chose to be obedient, and wow, I had no idea that that person was affected by what I said or what I did. Or I had no idea that, wow, if I had done that, that sinful thing that I chose not to do, if I had opened my mouth, here's what could have happened. And the harvest of righteousness that God is, is in the business of growing is beyond what we could ever imagine. And that's a really encouraging thought, even if we don't see that this side of eternity. So how do we get this humility, right? How do we cultivate this in our own lives? <clears throat> and that's kind of our, our third and final point here. How do, we, how do we do this? Easy way is to follow a and football. That just basically will just do it for you. But if, if that is not your cup of tea, Fortunately, James has some other suggestions. So suggestion number one, ask. Just ask, right? Uh, we read in our call to worship, you do not have because you do not ask. God is not up in heaven holding out on us, right? God is not up like, you want humility? No, I don't think so. Figure that out on your own. No, God delights to give good things, right? Right? Now, the old joke is be careful asking for humility because it probably won't be pleasant when he says yes to that, but just ask. Um, James 1.5 says if we lack wisdom, right, wisdom which he's just connected to humility, 
Just ask of God and expect that he'll say yes. God doesn't criticize us for asking, right? How many times do we hesitate to ask somebody else for help or advice because we think, oh, that person's just going to be, you know, sitting there judging me or, or thinking like, now you come to me or... God's not like that. God doesn't look down on us when we struggle, right? God delights to give us good things. So ask. Two, <clears throat> do not speak evil against those around you. James says this later on in chapter 4, right? If we speak against each other, if we speak against our brothers and sisters and judge them, we're speaking against and judging God's law. And what right do we have to do that? We're not the ones who wrote the law, right? God has not appointed us to be the judges or the arbiters of his law. He's pretty good at that on his own, right? But if we go around acting as if it's our job to correct and to point out every single thing, that's not humility, right? Who do we think we are? That leads nicely to point number three. Remember who you are. Later on in chapter 4, James will say, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. But you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. We're just a vapor. Right? We're here today, gone tomorrow. So much of what goes on in our lives is completely outside of our control. Not everything. Obviously, there are many things that we can and are called to control. But if we look honestly, if I look honestly at my own story, why am I a follower of Jesus? Well, by grace through faith. But if I look at the things that God used... I was born to parents who loved each other, loved the Lord, took me to church every day, faithfully. I contributed zero to that. Like, I didn't choose that. I was born in a time and a place where there was access to God's word in my own language. I did nothing to deserve that, right? And you could go on and on. We could think of all the people that have poured into your life. You think of all the circumstances God has used. And for each of us, it's a, it's a different, glorious story, right? But how arrogant would it be for me to stand up here and say, well, look how awesome and spiritual I am, right? I'm getting to pinch it for the pastor, right? Look, look, I mean, I can't believe why everybody else doesn't have their act together. How dare you not enjoy all of the advantages that I had that I did nothing to earn, right? Or how dare I act as if I deserve all of the things that God has given me, right? I'm just a mist. I'm a vapor. And the glory of the gospel is not that we are super awesome, important people that God chooses to use because of how super and awesome and important we are. The glory of the gospel is that we are not, and yet God loves us anyway. And so, our fourth and final point, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So if we're keeping score from these verses, humility will put the devil himself to flight. It will bring the Lord near to you. Um, As Isaiah says, right, the Lord is in a high and lofty place, but he also dwells with the contrite heart, with the humble in spirit. It will purify our hearts by cutting through the pride that comes so natural to us. And it will lead to final exaltation in God's timing and in God's way, which is better than the timing that we so often grasp for ourselves. And we have no greater example of this than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Who didn't just come down from his throne and say, okay, you guys are are lowly, you guys are amissed, you guys need to humble yourselves, and when you do, I'll be waiting. No, he came down and he showed us what it looked like. Though he existed in the form of God, though he was God by nature, He did not grasp on to all his rights as God. Instead, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what was the outcome of that? Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Right? And as God's people, if we will humble ourselves, we will share in the joy of Jesus' exaltation. Right, Just like Jose Altuve shared in the joy of Jeremy Pena's exaltation, if I can use that example again. right? So be like Jesus, right? Because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. If we humble ourselves, God will exalt us because he has done that for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did... Um, not only teach us this, but you lived it out. You did humble yourself. You did become obedient to the point of death. And because you did that, you died to cover the sins of all who would turn to you. Not because we deserve it, Lord, but because you have earned it for us. And you did not stay dead, but you rose in victory because it was impossible for death to hold you in its grip. And you rose in victory and are exalted to the right hand of the Father, And from there, you will come one day to judge the living and the dead. We thank you that as your people, you have chosen to use us to proclaim that message. And we pray that as we do that, Lord, that you would cultivate humility in each of us. We ask that you would give that to us. And we ask, Lord, that we would view ourselves aright and then turn our eyes to Jesus and see ourselves as as you see us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.